this was all circulating around the base that a giant had been killed, but no one was supposed to talk about it. I saw three long bony fingers reach up underneath the door, curl up to grab it, and then disappear. When he came over to me, dude, he slithered over to me. And this giant comes out of the cave, and they're all frozen. And he starts running and firing at this giant. Well, the giant moves. He's got a spear in one hand, and he's running really fast. And spears Dan and holds him up like this. Somebody yells, shoot him in the face, shoot him in the face. They basically decapitate him. Got closer, got closer, got closer. When he got about 15 yards away from me, I raised that 12 gauge, and I blowed his head off. I feel something pulling at my leg, and I look over, and there are two small gray entities pulling at me, and they're literally, I'm getting pulled off the bed. I reached my hand into this bush, and I touch air, couldn't breathe, and I couldn't move, because I know I'm seeing a monster. Welcome to the show, everybody. You're listening to The Confessionals. I am your host, Tony Merkel. Thank you for being here. If you have a wild story or an experience you want to share on the show, go ahead and shoot me an email. My email address is theconfessionals at theconfessionalspodcast.com. That's theconfessionals at theconfessionalspodcast.com. Or go to the website, theconfessionalspodcast.com. Hit the contact section and you can reach me that way as well. Either way works for me. Just get a hold of me. If you want to hear more shows every week on Thursdays, we release a bonus show to members only on the website. So go to the website, theconfessionalspodcast.com. Hit the join button and become a member today if that interests you. We are also offering emergency preparedness food, and that's because the world has gone down the crapper. That's pretty much why we are offering such things. If this time last year you said stock up on toilet paper, most people would look at you sideways. Now, nothing sideways. So go to preparewiththeconfessionals.com. That's preparewiththeconfessionals.com and you can get yourself emergency supplies, including food that lasts up to 25 years, shelf life. And if you get a four-week supply, we will knock $100 off for you right there on the spot. Now, this week we have Seth coming on the show, and Seth has a lot of great experiences to share with us. And he starts off by talking about lucid dreaming and how he was able to control his dreams. And as his dreams were able to be controlled, the nightmares seemed to stop for the most part. Let's get to Seth right now. All right, today we got Seth on the show. Seth, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, Tony. Thanks for having me on. Awesome, man. So I'm glad you're here. And uh, you're over there in beautiful, sunny Southern California, man. So <laughs> we were just talking about how it is out there. And it does sound like a paradise to me. I've only ha- ever heard good things out there. So no wonder why you guys are so comfortable out there and relaxed. I mean, why wouldn't you be? Up here in the Northeast, we're uptight, you know? We got bad weather and uh, it sucks. Well... Unfortunately, uh, despite all the good weather, there's plenty of grumpy people out here in Southern California, man. So I don't <laughs> think it's I don't think it's just the weather being a factor, man. I wish it was. <laughs> oh man! All right. Well, 
listen, you've had uh, lots of different experiences throughout your life. Uh, it starts out as a kid with lucid dreaming. So if you want, just kind of start us off uh, with your childhood and kind of walk us into these experiences. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I was uh, I was raised in a Christian household. And um, ever since I was uh, a young kid, uh, I was always plagued with nightmares. And, um, you know, I guess the purpose of me bringing up this dream part of my life is uh, just to verify something, I guess, later on in my life. But uh, I was always plagued with nightmares. Uh, it almost be on a nightly routine that my parents would come into me screaming, come into the room to me screaming and just, uh, you know, just being delirious and crying. And um, it got to the point to where. I kind of got numb to uh, morbid things because it would always be very morbid nightmares and very vivid. And I got to the point in my life when I got older, maybe in, in my teens, late teens, that um, I found a way to uh, wake myself up from the dreams because it was a place I don't want to be, you know, whether it started off. Uh, right away as a nightmare or something you could kind of notice creeping in like, hey, this is going to be an evil dream. I was able to um, force myself to wake up um, to the point of where it was uh, it was like a rip ripcord I could just pull when I wanted to just to exit out when if I knew I was going bad. And um, so this got to a point to where and even in my early 20s, uh, I would still um, have these nightmares and it got to the point to where at the time I didn't know that it was called lucid dreaming. I, I mean, I had no idea what any of this was because back then there was no, uh, you know, podcasts and stuff is, I mean, I didn't even have a, an iPhone until maybe like 2012. So <laughs> I was a late bloomer, but, uh, I, uh, I didn't, I didn't know what anything was called. I thought my experiences were unique and stuff, but I found out, you know, it's called lucid dreaming where you can uh, control your dreams. So I got to the point of where um, I was starting to be able to control my dreams and control the outcomes or control what I could do because I realized once I, once I could exit the dream um, on command, I knew that I was in a dream. I think that's the biggest uh biggest shift in your mind knowing that you're actually in a dream state and it's almost like a, a consciousness inside of your dream um but once i realized that and these nightmares are still coming uh i was able to start um <clears throat> manipulating my dreams and controlling them not a hundred percent but uh, a good majority of the time and i remember this one dream specifically i was in my friend's backyard and i there was this Chinese, older Chinese man, maybe in some sort of monk's attire. And I was standing by a wall and there was this big, long curtain between me and him and it was blowing. So these ripples in the curtain were blowing towards me. And he was on the other side and he had these whited out eyes and looked very creepy. And, you know, you get that evil kind of feeling in your dream that something was going wrong. And as each ripple blowed in the curtain towards me and he would reappear again, he would be closer. And then another ripple would blow and he'd be closer. And he kept coming until he was like face to face with me. Well, although it was frightening, I kind of 
real I realized at that point, you know, that I was in control, that this is my dream and I'm going to do what I want. So what I did is I, I hit rewind on my dream and rewound him going away from me. So I pushed him back, basically rewound the, the dream, that segment. And I realized at that point, like, I'm in control. I'm no longer going to be plagued by these nightmares. And um, it's pretty interesting experience. And sometime, I don't know if it was after that dream or sometime after that, I, I, um, I stopped getting nightmares, man, really. Uh, I mean, I still get them occasionally, but it was almost like when I conquered the, my dream, um, I no longer, like I defeated it in a sense, and I no longer was plagued by them. Uh, and which the reason why I brought up my dreams is because... Um, Later on in my life, when I, I had a sleep paralysis experience, I knew for certain uh, that it wasn't a dream because I had so much experience, I guess, if you will, in my dreams that I knew for sure when, know for sure when something is a dream or when it's not. But I just wanted to uh, start on that because, um, you know, my parents were always uh, sensitive to me because, you know, they... Uh, I grew up in a Christian household. They're always God-fearing people, and they were always sensitive to, you know, the uh, demonic uh, and the attacks that the demonic realm brings. So they were never shutting me down. And, you know, my dad actually just brought this up uh, a couple months ago, and I was talking to him about He's like, you remember all the nightmares you used to have? And I said, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I still vividly remembered some, even some reoccurring, but, um, I guess just moving on in my life, uh, in my teens, uh, one of my first jobs I had was, um, it's a first or second job. It was a dishwasher at a restaurant. And so, uh, the dishwashers, uh, they were usually the, um, first in and the last out. And, uh, with this shift that I had, I usually worked the, the later shift and, uh, the, when I, I was raised, um, in this private community in Southern California, it was actually, I think at the time, either the largest or the second largest private community in Southern California it had a lake in it and had their own city hall and police department, fire department. And so there was at the time, uh, around 30,000 people or so in this private community, and they had their own um, lodge and restaurant in there. And so I worked in this restaurant and it wasn't really known. The rumors wasn't really known to the community, but within the staff there that the place was haunted um, because before that, I don't remember exactly when, but they renovated, they completely tore down and renovated this whole lodge. And it was, it was a beautiful renovation, but before there, it kind of looked like this, wooden log cabin but i think they redid it in either the late 90s or early 2000s because this took place in like 2003 or four when i was about 16 something like that um and so 16 17 so anyways the the rumor there was the place was haunted and that a a chef i believe a worker there i think it was a chef if i remember um hung himself in the basement and so there was even the rumor that, well, hey, that's why they they rebuilt the place, or maybe that was the final straw decision for them to tear down and rebuild. I don't know for certain. Um, I actually tried Googling some stuff, 
uh, about it. I couldn't find anything, you know, if somebody hung themselves or not, but that was just the word, uh, between the staff there. Um, so anyways, uh, some of my experiences there while I worked there, cause I'd always work late, you know, they'd have weddings and it was like a three story building and the middle floor had the kitchen and the majority of the restaurant, the bar, and then the top floor had more seating. And then the bottom floor was an elevator from the kitchen and you ride the elevator down and they had a hallway with uh, a walk-in freezer, a walk-in fridge, a pantry with storage. It was a pretty nice facility. So anyways, um, one of the experiences I had um, there is one time I was mopping up in the kitchen. I was closing up. We would get out of there maybe like 1, 2 a.m. Depends on how busy the restaurant was that, that night. Um, and I was mopping down the aisles. And as I was mopping, uh, I saw somebody run by me. Now, it wasn't unusual for a uh, sous chef to come back late because they were usually like the second to last ones to leave besides us. So it wasn't unusual for them to forget something or come back and they would lock up the building and we didn't have keys. So once you exited, you were locked out. So they would lock it. And I thought maybe because um, I remember it was a white person or someone wearing white like chef's attire because they would wear, you know, those white coats or you know how, how chefs do that button up uh, i don't know the specific name for them but yeah uh and i saw a person run by so i was like i was thinking okay it was just a chef um that ran by well i went down the aisle and looked around no one was there i went out in the restaurant no one was there and i checked in the parking lot no one was there which was a trip to me because uh i know for sure i saw somebody run by me as I was mopping. I mean, to the point of where I went and checked if a person was there and there was no one there, nor even a, a car in the parking lot besides mine, uh, which tripped me out, you know, and having in the back of your mind that the place is haunted when you, when little things like this ha happen, it only adds fear to you, you know, in the moment. Uh, I, I wasn't trying to find hauntings there. I was just working. And if something would happen, like, okay, well, that's, strange it kind of adds to the rumors uh there's another time where i was um downstairs mopping in the in the hallway where they had the walk-in fridge and the refrigerator in front of the they had these big industrial locking doors on the fridge and fr uh, refrigerator and the freezer and uh with a little window glass window in the door and then when you open the door there's these big plastic flaps that hang down probably keep flies out and such so when you walk through the flaps you know obviously they would sway back and forth well one time again i was the only person there and i was mopping and i noticed how the corner of my eyes i'm moving and through the window of the fridge i saw the flaps swinging back and forth like as somebody just walked through it which freaked me out because nobody just walked through the, the door because I was the only one there. I mean, even looking through the window, no one was there, uh, which just being there alone and dark and a 16 year old, uh, isn't a comfortable place to be. Yeah, <laughs> and, sure. uh, and another time I was out taking trash out of the back door. And when I was out taking trash, um, the elevator dinged back up. And because I wrote it down to throw out the trash, dumpster, dumpsters on the bottom store, ding back up. And I'm out there listening to him thinking, okay, who's here? 
And then it deemed, and I heard it go back down, and I heard the doors open while I was outside, right outside. And I started freaking out, and I didn't want to go inside. Uh, so I, I walked out around the building to check the parking lot because I was hoping to see one of the chef's cars there to give me some relief. Well, there's no one, there's no cars there, just mine again, um, which freaked me out. So I don't know anything about elevators, and I don't know if they go through some sort of check system where once a week or once a day it it dings up and down i'm sure an elevator technician could probably confirm that but working that shift many times and being there all the time i never heard the elevator do that error um so it just kind of all these things i realized that they're not big significant things and all these things could probably be ra rationalized away and and justified by naturalistic means but uh, i think it's just an accumulation of events coupled with the rumors as long as well as other people's story uh i had a manager there who um was talking to a waitress and they told me um i knew both of them pretty well and they told me as they're sitting there in the office they had a picture there's a picture on the wall and it flew off the wall and it didn't just drop but it flew off about three feet and both of them are standing there was no thump or someone next door hitting the wall and both of them are looking at each other freaking out and ran ran out of the room uh and i had another buddy who's a server who he was working there late cleaning up and he, he was actually a dishwasher before he came to server. So, uh, he said he was there late cleaning up. And one time he was out or he was in the kitchen and there was double swinging doors on two sides of the kitchen for the servers to go in and out. And one side led to a, a tile floor hallway where there were some offices. And he said he heard when he was the only one there, it sounded like somebody that had a full tray of dishes drop the dishes in the hallway like a loud noise uh and he freaked him out so you went out there to look okay maybe a vase fell off a table or you know who knows and he went out there he went to the bar he checked over he said there's nothing there's no broken glasses nothing like that so uh you know these are just little instances of kind of accumulated together um mixed with the rumors of it being haunted already and someone hanging themselves kind of leads to me that hey maybe these aren't just uh coincidences maybe there's actually something there you right. know that's probably the only uh i guess haunted house or building experience i've had um that had you know reoccurring instances not just by me but other people i knew yeah you know buildings like that and stuff where you have multiple people experiencing hauntings or whatever it is and they all work there i i don't know i've never been through that kind of situation but i imagine at least there's gotta be some kind of comfort there knowing that you're not the only one that you know knows about this yeah definitely comfort and and confirmation you know but also uh at the same time not because when you're the only one there uh, <laughs> well, yeah <laughs> and, and everything adds up to hey this place is kind of seems like it's haunted rather than just these coincidences happening or figments of your imagination uh there's comfort in one end and then there's also terror at the other end you know what i mean <laughs> yeah so i mean are you are you saying then you're the kind of person that uh you're not necessarily thrilled that anything like that is happening around you because like some people they ignore it uh some people they actually get excited about it some people say oh it's it's nothing don't worry about it they, they can't hurt you uh but it sounds like you're just like if it, if it happens around you 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 notice it, you take it serious and you prefer not to be doing it. 
Yeah, I, I'm kind of in the middle. I definitely don't ignore because uh, as a Christian, I know the spirit realm is real. Uh, I know that there is spirits and apparitions. I can't explain it all or the functions of, of them. I don't think they're all demonic, uh, you know, but I also... I don't, I don't try to find a ghost around every bush and I also, I'm not sticking my head in the sand. So, you know, if it's there, I'll acknowledge it. Like I'll try to find a rational reason first. I think like the majority of people probably would, but if, if the conclusion kind of seems like, Hey, this isn't, this seems something odd, you know, then I'm going to lean more towards that because at some point it's irrational not to, you know what I mean? Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, and and I, I think it really comes down to how people view the experience, uh, going into it, but also in the moment, you know? Um, so that was the, uh, cafe, but you were, I I guess you were smoking weed or something. You've had things happen to you while you were smoking weed. This sounds like actually could be a funny story, but I don't know. I didn't go through it. So, (laughs) (laughs) well, uh, yeah, you know, I was super hesitant on telling these, I got two stories drug related, um, and I was I was hesitant because one, you know, that's not me anymore. Uh, this this was back in my BC days, um, before uh, I surrendered my life to Christ, and back when I used to party pretty heavily. And another reason why is because a lot of people they'll just uh, instantly chalk it. Uh, chalk it up as you know well you were under the influence so therefore it's not real yeah and i understand the reasoning behind that because you know there is uh auditory and visual hallucinations with things that can be figments of your imagination but um i think it's a important conversation to have because uh, i think there's something more there and uh, i think after my my two um scenarios i i want to bring a conclusion to you i'm sure you're already aware of but uh you know back in the day uh even though i was raised in a christian household there was being a pastor's kid i don't know if i said that but i was um i was a pastor's or i still am pastor's kid i'm actually a pastor now (laughs) uh but i was uh raised in a christian household uh and um, I was pastor's kid, which those PKs, those of who are pastor kids out there, they, you guys oh, yeah. know the, the <laughs> immense amount of pressure uh, as a pastor kid, a pastor's kid has on them. Um, you're, you're instantly, because of who your, your dad is uh, or parents are, whether they're in ministry or, or of any sort or a pastor, you're automatically put on a pedestal. And um, you're, you're thought to live a greater uh, life instantly. And, you know, I understand the, the standard of that. But, you know, at the same time, um, because your parents called to ministry doesn't make you called, right? It's not a um, guilty by association type of scenario, if, if that's the right term. But... You know, I had a lot of pressure as a kid and a lot of expectations by uh, the church and the world. And, you know, it kind of um, pushed me away. My heart got hardened by all of it. And I kind of had the mentality of uh, I just want to figure it out myself. Like, yeah, I know my parents uh, lived this, you know, they had a 
my dad took drugs, my mom, they all had their uh, uh, situations in life where they warned me against and said, hey, don't do this. You're going to just run into heartache. But yeah, I understand that. And you're probably right. But I just want to figure out myself, <laughs> you know, uh, the stubborn, the stubborn yeah. uh, teenager who knows everything once they're 16. So, um, so about 16, actually it was about 14, but 16, I started heavily uh, getting into drugs, uh, popping pills, almost every day drinking uh many times a week um sometimes a week straight um hard alcohol while popping pills which isn't a good idea and um smoking weed every day you know cigarettes and i did a uh, other drugs as well and um <clears throat> just trying to numb it all you know and trying to escape from uh, who people thought I should be and who I wanted to be and try to find myself. And of course, that's not the right way of doing it, numbing your yourself with a substance. But that's the path I chose for until I was, I would say, uh, 16 until um, 24. But uh, I was at the point where I was smoking weed every day. And I just want to preface uh, my first scenario with, um, you know, I it wasn't the situation with getting high is, that I'm going to tell wasn't my first time smoking weed. It's not like I smoked swag my whole life. And then someone finally handed me something good and I was tripping out. <laughs> I was, I was smoking good uh, medicinal quality on a daily basis. And I, and I did, I smoked weed every way possible or, or had edibles, uh, honey oils, hash, however you want to do it any way possible, I, I, I did it. So it's not, there's nothing braggadocious about it. There's nothing uh, in, in my statement that I'm, I'm boasting. I think it's it's nothing to boast about. I just want to preface it that this scenario that isn't just like, oh, you're just a lightweight, so therefore dot, dot, dot. Uh, this one time I was at my buddy's house and and we, we were smoking weed and uh, we were smoking hash, which... Uh, which is basically a controlled substance of weed. It's, it's cooked down into like, uh, there's different kinds, but like a tar or a, um, you know, so, some sort of substance like that. And, and it's basically very potent. So smoking that. And, um, I felt different than ever before. Uh, when I was smoking, I felt like, um, like, and it sounds weird that my, my body was, uh, resonating or something like that. Like, um, deep within me, I felt like my being was resonating uh, a frequency and like a, like a low hum. And I don't know how else to explain it, but I felt that within me. And so like, I, I felt just off. It was different than any time before, even though I did it many times before, uh, and I knew something w wasn't right within me. So as the night goes on, my friend lived in this house. He just moved in and it was like a four bed, three bath. It was a pretty big house. And he was the only one in it. He was waiting for roommates to come in. And so the, the house was pretty much empty except for his room. And then the room right next to his, which was a computer room. Uh, he, he did like computer programming and stuff. And so the rest of the house is pretty empty stuff was still in boxes, all that. So as the night went on, uh, he was in his computer room and I walked into the room and through the doorway. And as soon as I walked into the doorway, I had an out of body experience. Uh, and right when I walked through the doorway, I, I, it was like, I was watching myself 
through a through like a security camera in the corner of the room and i'm standing there and i'm watching myself i'm like what the heck is going on right now i'm i'm just tripping out and as soon as i stepped i took a step back out of the room i saw through my my eyes again and my body and i stepped back through the doorway and i saw myself through the through out of body again through like what a camera in the corner of a room would be. I'm looking at myself almost like, I don't know if you remember back in the day, a PlayStation game called Metal Gear Solid. Do you remember that? No, I don't. Well, anyways, it was like a a third person kind of view video game of this guy that's running around. But like the the point of view would be like stationary. And as you would enter a, a new room, the camera view would change, but it was always stationary and you'd watch yourself running around. And that's what it felt like. And I stepped back out of the room again, and I was back in my body. Uh, And I had just about enough of that, so I didn't go back in the room. Uh, (laughs) Because uh, not not necessarily a a comforting experience to have. Yeah. Um, But definitely definitely a trip, uh, but not the, the worst experience of the night. And so later that night, um, I went home and I was laying in my bed, uh, and I'm laying there and all of a sudden I see this, uh, a figure standing at the foot of my bed. Mind you, this is at off of just smoking marijuana, which isn't known to be a hallucinatory drug at all, but I'm standing there. At the and at the foot of my, or I'm laying there and at the foot of my bed, there's this humanoid figure is standing there, and this humanoid figure is solid black, uh, blacker than black. Uh, I think I described it as the absence of light, um, because even the darkest room, this thing was blacker than that. And at the time, I thought it was a unique experience, but after listening to all your podcasts, I realized that these shadow figures—that's kind of par for the course. Uh, Many people say it's blacker than black, you know? Yeah. And uh, that, that's something that I actually have grown to understand more. When I first started hearing it, I wasn't exactly sure what people, people meant when they said blacker than black, but it really seems to be that, you know, and correct me if I'm wrong as far as what you, what you're describing, but it, it really seems to be that like you could be in a black room, but the blackness that whatever this is, is just almost like consuming the blackness around it. Yeah. Yeah, Exactly. I mean, my room was, you know, blacked out. I can't say pitch black, but it was blacked out um, to the point of where you would have trouble seeing your hand in front of your face. And when you could see, when you could see a, a shadow figure in a black room, it's almost like in the daylight somebody casting a shadow on the ground. That's how clear you could see the contrast. Uh, yeah, and it's 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 the it was the absence of light. That's the only way I could describe it. And so this. Yeah. Uh, the um, humanoid silhouette shadow figure was standing at the foot of my bed. And this next part is super trippy, man, because (sighs) this figure proceeded to grab my feet. And the only way I could describe this thing is that it felt like it was trying to pull the soul out of my body. Wow. 
Yeah. And it almost, I would imagine that, you know, if someone is wearing like tights or, you know, pantyhose or something, I don't know if people still wear that, but, and, and someone were to pull the toes of that material and pull it in this as it stretches off of your leg and you could feel it moving down your leg. That's what it felt like when this thing would pull on my, on my, you know, soul, I guess, because he wasn't pulling my body, but that's what it felt like. So every time this thing would pull on my toes, it would make the sound as I would feel like this elastic stretching over my being and make the sound like if something was charging up and when it would let go, it would snap back into my body and would make the sound all through my being super loud. And when it would make that noise from my toes, when it would snap back like an elastic snapping back into my body, from my toes to my head, I would get this shot of of this tingling sensation, almost like if your legs falling asleep, but it would shoot through my body. So when you would pull back, whoop, and it would snap back, my whole body would just rush with this tingle feeling. And I'm laying there thinking what is going on right now and this figure this thing can continue to do it over and over again and i'm sitting there thinking you're just tripping out dude like this is on your mind you're making it up and after what seemed probably about four or five minutes of this thing continuing to do it um i had enough and I just jumped out of bed, man. And I, I jumped out of bed. I ran downstairs and I just started pacing in the kitchen. Like you're tripping out, man. It's on your head. And you know, the irony is that, you know, being raised in a Christian household, I knew the power of the name of Jesus. And because of my heart and heart and reprobate lifestyle, I refused to call on his name <laughs> because, uh, I guess I didn't, I didn't want to surrender yet, you know? And, um, you know, I think it's in, in John one, it says that, uh, that the world hates the light and loves the darkness because the light shines on the sin and exposes the sin. So therefore they hate the light and that light that's coming to the world is Jesus. So I guess that applied to me that I loved, I love my darkness greater than the light. And I would rather carry this burden of it then then reach out for the life preserver that was tossed to me you know <laughs> uh but yeah man that was a uh, that was uh insane experience man it felt like this this being um was trying to pull the soul out of my body yeah you know you're not the first person to say that on the show and what you said was almost verbatim for what uh the first time I ever heard of such a thing, which was episode 29, David, I've re- referenced him a couple times and he was laying in bed with his wife and he felt, he, he saw these two gray creatures, entities, uh, that he said they were pulling him off the bed, but at the same time, it was like they were pulling something out of him. And, uh, mm. he, he didn't describe the sounds that you described though. Uh, I find that really interesting. Do, do you, 
Do you think this was all a purely spiritual experience or do you think there was something mechanical? Because like the way you described the sounds, it sounds like they were using a machine to pull something out of you. I think it was, I think it was, uh, I think it was spiritual, man, because I think the, the thing, the, the shadow person was pulling it. And I think maybe the noise was the sound of my soul leaving my body and coming back in. I, I would imagine, I don't know. I take it more as if this, that sound wasn't a machine, but the sound related to the feeling in my being. So as the, what I would, I would, I guess, call my soul being pulled from my body, the sound matched it. And when it was released and snapped back into my body, the sound matched it as well as the, the tingling sensation. So I would lean more towards, yeah, this was strictly spiritual and that the being was doing the pulling and the sound was somehow related to my soul. Uh, you know, it sounds super weird me saying that, but I don't know any other explanation. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's your, your experience. So you explain it the best you can. Uh, you had another experience though, didn't you? When you were, uh, I, I guess on drugs or something like that with voices. Yeah. Um, my, the other one was, uh, related to psilocybin mushrooms. And I realized that that is a hallucinatory, hallucinatory drug. Uh, and so I'll people are probably just going to discredit it, which is fine. You know, I just want to have transparency here. I'm not trying to sell anything or, you know, validate my name. I just want, if, if people disregard the experiences, that's totally fine. But just being someone who took mushrooms a whole lot of times, uh, this was completely different and stood out. And then after that, I'll, I'll tell you my conclusion of why I even, wanted to tell you got uh tell you uh this is uh, one time i was on taking psilocybin mushrooms and and uh i was tripping out and i felt it come uh, coming on and increase and i was you know what they call climaxing and so i know the the tracers and the tunnel vision and all these these feelings that happen um and what one thing that was different on this is that physically my body uh, I couldn't control my body. Um, I kept my head was going around in like circles. I probably looked like this, those, you know, Facebook videos where they see these people tripping on drugs and going completely crazy. I probably looked like that, a psychotic person I am because my body, my head was just rolling around and I was still, throughout all these experiences, I still had a subconscious of soberness that I knew well, everything that was going on, but my body, I couldn't, really control my motor function that's a good way of saying it my motor function so and as the the, the high increased the less i could control it to the point of where i ended up the night on the couch squirming and kind of rubbing my body like uh like my arms and my legs and my head and man i don't know it wasn't, it wasn't a violent convulsion. It was like a, a slithering, squirming kind of motion, which I think that was related to the drugs. And I'll explain because the next day, the frontal cortex of my brain, man, f felt like it was 
on fire, like inside. And I realized that I looked up the frontal cortex involves motor function. So uh, the shroom itself obviously was poisoning the front part of my brain. And um, and I think that was related to the motor function. But the, the spiritual aspect of it is why I want to bring it up is when I was on that couch, all of a sudden I started hearing a room full of voices. And there was no one in the house except for this guy and the girl. They're upstairs sleeping. And I all of a sudden there's a room full of voices of people whispering and it, I couldn't make out what they're saying, but it was just, it sounded like a room full of us, you know, a hundred people that were all talking to each other, but in whispers, it was just, and behind or above whatever, all the whispering, there was one voice that stood out and it was this very deep demonic voice. And it was all, and it had authority in its voice. And I couldn't make out what it was saying. And I don't know if it was because it was speaking a different language or because it just wasn't clear enough. But it was almost like it was commanding in its tone. And, um, and uh, I felt a, a demonic presence there in the room. Um, and after waiting it out, you know, five, 10 minutes, uh, I, I got up and I forced myself to, you know, throw up and try to sober up and it stopped. As soon as I got up, it stopped. Um, but the experience itself, the reason why I brought it up is because both of these experiences, because the Bible just discuss, discusses, Paul discusses in Galatians five, he talks about all these different acts of the flesh he talks about sexual morality, idolatry, you know, um, rage, selfishness, and all this stuff. Um, and then he talks about uh, he talks about something, oh, witchcraft, and all all these this list of items he brings up. Um, he says all these things. If you practice all these things, such things, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. This is like an unrepentant practicing lifestyle of these things. And one of the things is witchcraft. I'm sure you're aware of that word. Rich witchcraft is pharmakia um, in the Greek. And where what that means is basically it's where we get our word pharmacy, uh, pharmacist, um, and it's those who administer or use drugs. And it's interesting because you think about why is witchcraft and pharmacia, those who use drugs, tied in together. And it's not as if someone smokes a joint, then they're like, they're a witch or they're a Satanist or something like that. But just as in somebody who dabbles in witchcraft and sorcery and Ouija boards, as you probably know, and all the people I listen to, those who, even if something as simple as a Hasbro Games Ouija board that you find at Target, someone who dabbles in it, as innocent as may look, many times, most of the time, experience some sort of demonic activity. Um, and so when you enter into this place of willingness to witchcraft and sorcery and, you know, any kind of form of it, you're opening yourself, your spirit being up to the demonic realm uh, and thinning the veil from ours to to theirs. And when you when you 
perform witchcraft. Obviously, those who are serious into witchcraft and spells and sorcery, sorcery, it, it obviously works because they wouldn't keep doing it if it didn't work and they didn't some sort have some sort of experience. Well, those who use drugs in the same sense of those who open themselves up to demonic influence and thin or even pierce the veil to the other realm, so do the people who use drugs. Now, obviously, there's different level of drugs. On the low end, you have something like weed, uh, which is often called the gateway drug. And on the other far end of it, you have stuff like LSD or DMT that people usually when they take it, they experience crazy things right away. And so I'm not, what I'm not saying is your first time smoking a joint that you're going to be demonically possessed or something like that. But what I'm saying is that you are willingly risking and opening yourself up to demonic influence, to thinning the veil. And too many times, I believe in my situations, piercing the veil, and I believe that God, even though I was running from him, he allowed me to experience these things, open up the veil to the other side to allow me to experience them without actually them harming me or doing damage, or I don't know, you know, or even being possessed because I was never possessed by anything. But um, I believe he opened the veil uh, and allowed me to see these things. And, you know, many, many people who uh, dabble in drugs, you know, people who, who dabble in, in speed a lot, they say they always see shadow figures. Well, is it just a figment of your imagination or are you really seeing through the veil? People who take DMT, they say that they experience, you know, these higher entities, these um, spirit guides who seem to be... Um, benevolent but as soon as someone mentions the name of jesus christ they become malevolent and they turn on them so is it just really a figment of your imagination or are you really piercing the veil and seeing into the other realm and i, I think there's many times where it could just be physically hallucinatory symptoms that your brain is playing tricks on you but i think many times it's not and especially with my my first experience, I think that was an opening up of the veil. Yeah. You know, and I tend to agree with you. I think that uh, a lot of times people that are, you know, hallucinating on drugs and stuff and they see these types of entities, I think that, you know, a lot of times people are going to just say, oh, well, you're on drugs, you're just seeing things. But I think that there is a veil that's being thinned. And because I, I believe that we are very much spiritual bodies. I think we're more spiritual mm -hmm. than what people believe, what they can imagine. And when you go on drugs and, and, and you start thinning that veil, you're going to see things from the other side and it's going to scare the hell out of you sometimes. Yeah, absolutely, man. And, you know, what's interesting is that just like, you know, I don't know if you heard the um, Sasquatch Chronicles uh, episode, uh, Confessions of the Pastor. Did you hear that one? Uh, I don't even, I'm not even sure what, what, I never heard of Sasquatch Chronicles. Well, it's a show. I mean, it's all right. I'm playing, I'm playing, I'm playing, I'm playing. <laughs> no, I know. I know. That's yeah. actually how I heard about your show. So. Yeah, Confessions of a Pastor. Is that, are you saying that's you? No, no. Oh, I'm, okay. saying, uh, I'm saying you should, uh, if you haven't listened to him, you should listen to him. Um, dude, you should, he, I think there was two episodes. Dude, you should have, you should have this guy on your show, man. He's, he would fit in well with the DNA of your show. And um, he's got some 
awesome stories, man. I could probably listen to this guy for hours, just uh, demonic stories and casting out demons and stuff. But one thing that he said that really uh, kind of checked a box for me was he said um, that the most, I'm not sure, exactly sure how he worded it, but some of the most people who end up being demonically possessed in his experiences are the people who have drug use in their lives. Uh, which makes sense to me because as we just saw on, you know, we touched on in the scripture and as well as my own experience that, that you're opening yourself up to the, to the demonic, you know, when, as you said, we're spirit beings and there's ways there's, there's biblical ways as Christians uh, to, to, you know, have contact with the other side and with the Holy spirit and, uh, you know, praying to Jesus, he's a mediator between us and God. And, but there's also a demonic aspect to it. And the wrong way doing that is through witchcraft, witchcraft and drugs. And I think it makes sense to what the guy was saying that the most in his experience, the people as a whole who have the most demonic possession in their life are the ones who have a drug use, a history of drug use in their life. That was interesting. Yeah, I remember that episode. I mean, I don't remember the details like you just, you know, spit out at us. But um, I remember the title. Uh, I'll have to go back and check it out. Um, Now, you became a Christian and you had, uh, I guess, some type of encounters with demonic entities after uh, becoming a Christian through uh, sleep paralysis. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So after... Uh, once I became a Christian man and, uh, I surrendered my life to the Lord, uh, it was January 1st, 2012. And, um, ever since there, man, I, I didn't look back. I became a new creation in Christ, man. And, um, uh, eventually somehow I became a pastor. Uh, although if you would have told me that January 1st, 2012, uh, I would have just laughed at you <laughs> and said, you're crazy. Cause, uh, I can never, never imagine myself standing in front of people and teaching the word of God. But yeah, once I, once I surrendered the Lord and, and started living a new life, I got rid of the drug use and all that stuff. And, um, uh, shortly after that, I would say within six months, I, I think maybe even closer to three months, um, I had two encounters of, uh, a, a sleep paralysis, I guess, is the only thing I would categorize it as because just uh, judging on other people's experience, it fits into it. I don't actually remember being physically paralyzed, but, um, you know, there's two times I was living with my roommates and there's two times within, I would say within a couple of weeks of each other, where I was awoken in the middle of night by a thick, evil, demonic presence to the point of where the evil felt like a, a, a tangible a physical thing. I mean, that's, that's how intense this evil feeling was. And the room was dark, darkened. And I, I felt this in my sleep and I woke up. And the reason why I told my first dream stories was because I knew the different, I knew I wasn't dreaming. I, I had uh, lucid dreams and I understood how to control them. And I knew the difference between sleep state and awake state. And I knew that this was not a, a dream. And so I cracked my eyes open and I just felt this demonic presence. And at this time as a Christian, I, I called on the name of Jesus, but 
you know, um, it was, it was hard to get out, you know, it was, uh, it took four or five tries to try to get out the name of Jesus. And when I did, it immediately left and the room cleared. And this happened twice. And, and uh, I don't know if I just pissed off some demons because, uh, I, I was living such a reprobate life, and then I finally uh, went, surrendered to God, and they were coming back to give maybe a final, you know, who knows, man. Uh, but I think that's what happened. And, um, yeah, man, uh, I remember hearing your your podcast about the, um, the lady who was a sleep technician something like that and mm. i remember she talked about sleep paralysis and how the brain secretes some sort of um paralyzing something in your body when you're sleeping so you don't actually act out your dreams while you're sleeping is something like that correct yeah i you think remember? i think the episode you're talking about was with Lori, and uh yeah i remember that as well yeah so which so when it's, when someone says they they feel sleep paralysis, I guess a lot of it can be contributed to that because if you wake up prematurely and that that is still secreting through your body, then yeah, you could feel sleep paralysis. But what I don't understand is if that can be uh, if that could be, um, I guess if the demonic presence people feel can be justified by the paralysis part. Right. So maybe you have paralysis without the demonic, but many people who have paralysis have some sort of whether it's an alien abduction or demonic experience like I did. I don't see how the paralysis part justifies the demonic part. You know what I'm saying? Which makes me think there's actually demonic things going on <laughs> during this time. Yeah. And I also wonder if it's uh, one of those things where maybe not everybody's experience is the same. Maybe sleep paralysis can be the result of different things, you know, like the origin of what spawned the sleep paralysis paralysis on uh, might, you know, be different from person to person. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah, so I mean, I, I don't know. I, I I've never experienced sleep paralysis. There's a lot of things that we cover on the show that I've never experienced. So, uh, yeah, but uh, I I do think that. Um, I think that it's something that's very interesting, and I think that there are interesting ways to look at it as far as scientifically goes, but mm-hmm. I don't think the scientifically side of it can explain some of the people's experiences when it comes to the supernatural, paranormal side of it either. Um, but right. it's a big mystery, man. It's a big freaking mystery. Maybe I need a half-sleep paralysis to understand it. I don't know. Uh, well, maybe. <laughs> I mean, I guess the paralysis without the demonic part, but, you yeah. know, I... That's I, that's what I'm saying. I don't know if if um, science can justify the, the the demonic part by the the paralysis part, but yeah, it's just a thought. I know you talked to a whole lot of people, and uh, you got a whole lot of knowledge stored up in your in that head of yours. So I just thought maybe I would maybe you could connect some dots. That uh, I just don't know how much they're related, you know, of the two. But just a thought. Yeah, I I I don't know, man. I think that. Uh... Like I said, I think that it can be, it can vary depending on the situation, depending on the person's experiences leading into the sleep paralysis. Uh, but I definitely do believe that, you know, sleep paralysis definitely can be a demonic attack. Um, but uh, yeah. like I said, I mean, I've, I've heard so many different other people give uh, more medical exp- or scientific explanations to it. That makes me feel right. like maybe, maybe uh, sleep paralysis is a symptom of many different things. Uh, mm. So... 
Um, but yeah, so let me ask you this question here. I know you said that you think you might have met an angel. Please talk. Yeah. About it. Talk about that. Well, uh, I, I can't say for certain, man, but um, I'll just I'll tell my story and my conclusion. So uh, one time at my uh, old church building that we had a, a few years ago, this is maybe like 2016 ish. 2015 maybe something like that and um so after our church service uh, our church is located and um it's not a bad neighborhood but it's in the bat the not the the least best part of town um it accumulates a lot of homeless people and and drug users uh, who like to camp out and stuff so anyways you know after just you know so many times of drug users homeless people trashing the place uh, peeing on the door, crap in there and not cleaning up, you know, you get frustration and you kind of get, um, you kind of get a little, uh, hard into it, you know? So, um, I kind of not, didn't for a while. I mean, I guess I'm still working it out, but for a while I didn't have the best, uh, mentality towards homeless people. You know, as Christians, we're supposed to be compassionate, but, uh, some guys working out, you know, for a long time, I just didn't like people at all. <laughs> and, uh, you know, God had to really work that out of me. But this, this guy after church, uh, before in our front door, um, there, we have this big, uh, kind of awning, uh, hallway type thing, uh, in front of the front door. And I, I'm standing there after service and, um, this huge guy starts walking towards me and he's probably like six, four ish and probably like 250 275 this big guy and he had kind of uh homeless attire you know like uh, ripped dirty jeans jacked up hair scruffy you know just kind of the homeless look that i'm used to seeing around there and i'm six one and like two two fifteen uh and so not too many guys make me feel small out there but this guy made me feel small and uh as he's walking towards me and um he just passes me doesn't look at me uh doesn't acknowledge me walks right into our church through the hallway turns right into the sanctuary and so i book it after him because you know we have women in there we've had crazy people come in the church man uh we had some guy call himself jesus one time and oh, uh, i love those people said, <laughs> what was that? I love those guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had we had one guy come in and said he was Jesus. Like I'm Jesus, I've returned. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, no, you ain't, bro. Where's your stallion at, man? Where's your white horse? And uh, but you know, there's women, children there. So like, you gotta you gotta be on the defensive, man. And when you're used to the um, people like this that are all drugged out coming in, you you, you have a different approach to it so i saw him coming in past me and um turn right into the sanctuary so i just booked it after him uh you know by the time he turned right into the sanctuary i was still by the front door there's a good 50 feet or so so i booked it turned right in the sanctuary and he wasn't there and um looked around all around in the sanctuary 
and uh, wasn't by the sound booth, wasn't in the anywhere. Nobody was reacting. There's groups of people and they're talking to us after service. Nobody's reacting. No one was talking. Well, if you go to the right, back right corner of the sanctuary, there's another door to where there's a hallway in the kitchen. So I'm like, okay, this guy booked it to this other door. So I ran to this other door and checked in the kitchen, not in the kitchen. Uh, in the hallway, not in the hallway, in the back patio, not in the back patio. So I ran back to the parking lot where this guy first walked through, not in the parking lot. I book it to the corner of the street and looking down, up and down the sidewalk, all around the street, dude's not there. The front yard, dude's nowhere to be found. And, and this guy's six, four, like I said, two fifty or so. You know, he's a big guy, not obese, but like, you know, belly on him, just a big framed guy. You know, bigger people, they, they're they not, he kind of walked with a, you know, kind of like a waddle. Uh, he, you know, he's got a lot of weight to carry. So he's not a fast guy. I'll just say that, right? I'm a lot faster than this guy. And I booked it. As soon as he left my vision, I booked it. And I ran around this whole place. There's no way, unless he had a Harry Potter invisible cloak. There's no way this dude could have escaped my sight. No way. And I checked every corner of this place and I did it fast. It wasn't like it was within a minute of me running around this place and he's completely disappeared. And, um, and I was completely baffled by this. And I, I got in the car with my, my wife and I said, I told her the story and in my mind, I'm thinking that verse, you know, do not forsake the, entertaining of strangers for doing so you may be uh or do not neglect showing hospitality to strangers for doing so you could be entertaining angels right so that means that in a sense uh angels are shape-shifting interdimensional they can go from their dimensional to our shape-shift in the human form and inter and interact with us right we see that in the bible and we and there's also that verse so i'm thinking that verse is going through my mind. And when I told the story to my wife, she said the same thing, confirming it. I'm like, no way. And, you know, I've told that story to my congregation probably like over the last, I don't know if that was five years ago, probably like three times throughout the last five years. And no one's ever came up to me and said, hey, I saw that guy too. Uh, and so, and that day, nobody, when I ran in the sanctuary, right when he got out of my vision nobody was reacting no one said anything to a six foot four homeless looking man walking in the sanctuary which he would have stuck out like a sore thumb so you know my conclusion was that god was trying to work something out my heart that to stop seeing every be hospitable to strangers because my first reaction to this guy was like who's this fool walking up in here right like the shepherd with the staff trying to protect the sheep you know yeah. like who's this guy walking up in here trying to you know because we you just had experiences in the past that didn't work out so good so that was what was in my heart to shut him out but i think what the lord was showing me is like don't neglect showing this hospitality to to strangers you know and i think he was trying to soften my heart towards that hey look Although these people may look certain way, they're in a certain position. Not all of them have ill intent, but it was just interesting. I don't have a hundred percent proof, man, that it was an angel, but I don't, I can't explain how this guy disappeared. And, uh, there was just confirmation from my wife telling me the, the same verse I was thinking of mine. So I don't know, man, what do, you, what do you think about it? But that's my story. Yeah. I mean, it certainly could be something like that. I, I, had a similar experience when I was in college, me and my wife and a bunch of other people were out in a local city, uh, doing some street ministry and, uh, 
got in a sticky situation. A drunk guy had a gun on him, and he uh, was being th- talking to us in a threatening manner. And I was the only guy in the group, and I'm trying to, you know, defuse the situation. It wasn't working out well. And then all of a sudden, this guy comes down and interjects into the conversation, talks to this guy like he knew him for years, uh, calmed him down. He turns around. The, the, the guy who was all hyped up, he left. Uh, we started walking away. I said to the guy, thanks so much, man. I appreciate that. I said, uh, you know, and he said that and what he said to me was um, that he was driving by and figured he knew what we were doing and thought that we needed help. And so he he came down uh, to fuse the situation. And I said, thanks so much. And I turn and I look to the people in our group and I say something. I turn around. It's gone. It's gone. And, and I'm like, where'd this dude go? Like he said, he was driving down the street. There ain't, he's not getting in a car anywhere, nothing. And so, right. um, similar situation. But um, yeah, I, I think that's definitely a possibility, dude. I do. I absolutely think that. I think that's a definite possibility. So you said he he was talking to him like uh, he knew him forever. Yeah, but he didn't. That's the thing. Like, because I, I I asked him. I remember asking him, and he said, "No, I just was driving down the road. And I figured I knew what you guys were doing, and you need looked like you needed some help." So. I stopped wow. and pulled over, uh, and and he came in and acted like he knew the guy for years, and uh, you know, the guy just—I I don't remember exactly how it all unfolded, but I remember the guy calmed down and left, and um, you know, all that stuff. And I—I I don't even know it, what that guy's story was as far as the guy who was being aggressive to us, because I had seen him uh, after that, and uh, he was totally normal, absolutely normal. Uh, like I let me rewind here. He was drunk, but he was much more normal than what he was that one night. Uh, so right. uh, you know, people get violent when they're drunk. You know, you could say it was demonic possession or whatever. But uh, one thing for sure is that guy who kind of got us out of that jam. Um, you know, I I, I huh. always just say maybe it was an angel because I have no idea where he went. He just like straight up disappeared on us. And like, who's driving down? the road at like midnight in the city sees a group of people talking to another guy and just assumes that he knows what they're doing and that they need help. Like, you know, right. Uh, it wasn't like I, I was, I was, uh, wearing overalls and a country kid and, you know, sticking out <laughs> like a sore thumb. Like, I, I mean, I don't, I, you know, so it's not like just by visually looking at me, he knew that I was, I was out of place or anything. Uh, we, we've come across tons of people prior to that. I mean, we did this a lot and that was the one time that I was like, man, this might end bad. And so <laughs> I was fortunate. Right. Yeah. And for the guy to talk to him like he knew him forever, like brought peace upon the guy to defuse the situation yeah, and then just disappears. Yeah, man. Strange. You know, same thing with what I was doing with that. How, how can a six foot four, two fifty plus guy who, who walks slowly just disappear from me and nobody else in the whole congregation ever saw him. You know what I mean? It's just strange, man. You never know. Yeah, absolutely. You never know. You never know when you're entertaining angels. Always be hospitable. Uh, yep, good, true. good rule to live by. Uh, listen, man, I appreciate you coming on the show and sharing these stories. Hey, thank you so much, man. I've been listening to you for a while. I appreciate everything you do, man, and keep up the good work. Well, that's the show, everybody. I really hope you enjoyed it. And if you did enjoy it, please share the show with your friends. I don't care where you share the show or how you share the show. Just share the show if you enjoyed it, because that's the best thing you can do to help the show grow. Just share the show. And until next week, friends, stay safe, take care, and remember, the truth will set you free. But first, it'll piss you off.
Bye. I think that we're headed down the wrong road. Fake's real and they say real's fake woke. False prophets on these screens everywhere we go. But what did you expect when dumb people got smartphones? More memes, cool. Make it all a big joke. Crown your fake kings and let them sit up on your fake thrones. You're young now, but just wait until you grow old. When life gets real, you'll remember all these words I wrote. I went Roman, walked multiple ways for 40 nights, 40 sleeps, yes, multiple days. In the desert, no food, water, searching for the answers. But you listen to these people who got nothing to say. You wouldn't know real if it slapped you right in the face. Ain't for the culture. I can tell, I can tell who embrace I'm in Gotham, but my mind's in a different place So your cosigns, money, and your radio play I be shaking when I write my music I've been anti-violent, but don't push me Cause I just might do it They won't give you no credit Cause they know you'll use it And that's what happens when the master starts fearing the student In the city, you a number They don't see you as human Just a puppet they replace for their games and amusement In a city full of angels with the biggest influence I see demons with the platform who just abuse it In Gotham, everybody knows everybody If you ain't got a blue check, you ain't anybody Repeat, sleep, double tap, see, copy Lost souls underwear, they're turning into dead zombies Everywhere you look is plastic, all fabricated Everything you've seen on TV was exaggerated Don't nobody see you till you get a million followers And when you do, they treat you like you someone and you validated What do you do? How much money you make? Who do you know? What do you drive? Where do you stay? And while you answering those questions, they be calculating How much of it they can see themselves trying to come in and take If you fragile, don't you even try to come to this place They gon' build you just to break you, then rebuild you to break Let you reach your own limit, then heroically save And that's exactly how Gotham turns you into a slave In Gotham, everyone goes and they lose their souls Cause they can't control in Gotham Everyone lies aside for an eye, you will lose your minds in Gotham Everyone goes and they lose their souls Cause they can't control in Gotham Living in Gotham, living in Gotham Living in Gotham, living in Gotham Nobody's from here but everybody comes here wanting to be famous till they realize the price of fame brings close everything that they once feared consumed by the algorithm it becomes clear life's a simulation all controlled by a puppeteer blind people leading blind people driving cars to a destination that is unclear while they can't steer one year two years three years four alcohol morgue fake friends women gold digging as a sport who convinces you should live a whole life you can't afford nobody sees you you're continuously ignored everybody wants fame they don't care what it's for they don't want to build theirs they're just trying to take yours this is dog eat dog in this messed up world think you need this place but you don't happiness is not a physical place you call home did you ever wonder why you feel like you feel when you take that time away from your phone fake fake goes viral we know this won't they'll say they care but we'll never show gotham isn't just a place it's a mind state watered by the Thoughts that manifest with you grow. In Gotham, everyone goes and they lose their souls because they can't control in Gotham. Everyone lies aside for an eye, you will lose your minds in Gotham. Everyone goes and they lose their souls because they can't control in Gotham. Living in Gotham, living in Gotham, living in Gotham, living in Gotham. Tell them how you feel because I promise they won't call back. Everybody's in it for money, so it's all back. Killing all my demons, I'm rapping this in all black. I ain't got it, I ain't got it, I ain't got it. For me, for me.